This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Jackie Easley McGee, Chief Strategist and Director of Health Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at Mercy One Iowa. Jackie, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. Pleasure to be here. Now, before we dive into the questions, I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yes, I am uh, about a 15-year veteran of what is now known as Mercy One Iowa. We are a health system of the combination between Common Spirit Health, which is formerly Catholic Health Initiative, and Trinity Health, which is, um, of course, an East Coast-based hospital system. We have about 40 sites here in Iowa. And my responsibilities include health equity initiatives, diversity and inclusion direction. I began actually in the human resource department at the beginning of my career. I had previously been a human resource professional and so came to Mercy in that capacity. But in about 2007, 2008, the CEO I think wisely and really shrewdly predicted that with the passing of the Affordable Care Act, there were going to be more and more new entrants into healthcare, individuals who previously had not had a health home. And so the vision at that time was to do community outreach to the various groups and organizations that perhaps these individuals had already nested with. And this outreach then would include more diverse patient population, our refugee and immigrant population, and others who really just had not connected yet, perhaps based on social determinants of health uh, to healthcare. So my role then transitioned from human resources to one where I currently sit today in the mission area of our organization. And I believe that mission is the appropriate place for the work I do because my work um, is intersectional with all of the work of our hospital in terms of our clinical objectives, outcomes, as well as our, um, certainly our staffing goals, and then of course our grant opportunities where perhaps we're working on grant-funded programs in the community. And so today I would say that when you look at social determinants of health and all of the factors that measure um, health outcomes of our patient population, That is really where my work centers, trying to um, try to predict perhaps a patient's health outcome and how we can overcome the gaps therein. So I every day I come to work, you know, really ready for new challenges and opportunities really to better uh, reflect the mission of a healthier community or healthier outcomes for our community. That's fantastic. And it sounds like you've really got a great handle on, you know, what the vision is and where you're going and how you can really bring access to care to more people in Iowa, which is, you know, a great 
plan and mission to have. I'm wondering, could you share with us a little bit about some of the, the population that you're serving and really who you're focused on? I know in Iowa, people traditionally have an idea of, you know, the, the landscape being a lot of farmers and, and that kind of thing, but with 40 facilities or, or more across the state, and I know you mentioned a refugee population as well, could you give us an idea of what types of people you're reaching out to and really, you know, the landscape that you're seeing um, with boots on the ground there at Mercy One? You know, that is such a timely question, Laura, as we all have recently seen and reflected on the census uh, data that came out a few days ago. And while Iowa is predictably homogeneous in terms of our racial and ethnic makeup, the greatest area of growth that our state experienced was within the immigrant refugee and really non-white population of our state. And so ironically, that is the area that I had really been keenly focused on in terms of working with um, preventive health care and health measure outcomes. So it certainly didn't come as a surprise to me. In our facilities in central Iowa, we know that we could receive up to 70, request, 70 different language requests for services. And we certainly see that in the school systems here in central Iowa, and now definitely in our patient population. So knowing and keenly understanding that our patient population is becoming more, more diverse leads to really one of the aspects of my role, which is lifting and elevating cultural humility in my organization. And what we mean by practicing cultural humility is we certainly believe that cultural competence is important in terms of understanding our patients' diverse backgrounds, whether it is based on ethnicity and race, sexual orientation, gender, perhaps religious background, all of those factors are important, but we don't believe that a one and done, uh, say, training or, um, you know, a one and done session really will help achieve their goals. And so cultural humility is a journey that I help our clinical folks understand, well, actually all of our um, colleagues understand that every day we must be aware and uh, have an understanding of the diverse um, background of our patients. That's a really great point and just so interesting to hear about and, and think about how, you know, even in uh, small town Iowa, there's that many languages that could be coming through and people that are coming through um, needing care from your facilities. Now, when you think about healthcare in general, what are some of the top trends that you're following today? Well, I don't think it will be a surprise that the pandemic ripped off the wounds or lift off the band-aids left by wounds of inequity in all aspects of um, our society in social justice, but certainly in healthcare. And so equity in healthcare uh, is an area that now has been elevated. And I believe that almost every, you'll find in almost every organization uh, that there is 
some attention paid to the health disparities and how we can address those. So that certainly is a trend, but I hope it becomes, you know, actually more than a trend, something that is commonplace as we look to serve our patient population. And then of course, all of us are concerned about staffing. And even prior to the pandemic, um, we had anticipated uh, a, you know, a really a significant number of our clinical staff, particularly our nurses, who would be exiting due to retirement, uh, you know, and other factors. The pandemic probably has exasperated that uh, in terms of individuals who, you know, um, for some reason or another, are feeling that healthcare is not the place for them. And so all of us are experiencing the shortages, um, whether it is in mental health professionals, entry-level uh, physicians, and leading to nursing roles. So staffing is certainly one area that we're concerned about in looking at the trends there. And then finally, governance. And while the general public may not view healthcare um, in the same respect that they do the private sector, where it's very important from the executive level to, you know, understand really the operations of an organization. I believe that in healthcare, um, it is almost as important to see the leadership of our healthcare organization from the standpoint, you know, we we had to survive a pandemic based on really some pivoting and making some uh, wise decisions about how to operate uh, in, you know, in an environment where we were unable to do elective surgeries and uh, in some cases, um, closed clinics and furlough staff. And so governance from the standpoint of having individuals who um, are able to pivot when needed, pivot when needed, um, certainly diversity of leadership. We want to really reflect the communities that we serve. And so they are looking to see leadership that looks like them in those roles. And I believe that governments from the governance from the standpoint of colleague engagement is also very important. Uh, and so I believe that those are really some areas that are listed as um, trends to look for in healthcare. That's really fascinating to think about. And especially when you talk about the pandemic, I can imagine there were a lot of things that you had to, uh, you know, came to the forefront that perhaps were on your radar before, but really um, were intensified. I'm wondering what initiatives are you most proud of at Mercy One Iowa today? Well, um, without being redundant, of course, the work that we're doing in cultural humility and working with our colleagues to understand self-reflection and how implicit bias and unconscious bias um, do play a role uh, sometimes in these health major outcomes. I think that... Um, the, that we are aided in the fact that, uh, you know, there is, there has been, you know, more interest and awareness 
of these issues in general society. Um, and so I think that, I, you know, I'd like to think that we were at the forefront because we've been practicing cultural humility for years. But now that really attention has been drawn uh, to these issues as a result of social justice, uh, I think um, puts us, you know, probably uh, in a position where our colleagues know that, you know, this is a journey that um, we feel is very important. Um, so that's one area. And then really maybe to get more specific in looking at equity, which, you know, of course, is my passion in the area that um, I preside every day. Uh, I am really um, excited about a project that we're going to undertake on maternal health and particularly um, maternal health outcomes for uh, women of color. National research has shown, and I've read shown, and I've read many times in Becker's Healthcare um, studies related to poor health comes in the area of maternal health for women of color. Our particular project uh, is going to focus on taking a look at women who present in our emergency rooms, following them um, uh, from the point of uh, what, were, what was the reason that brought them to the emergency room? Did they have a primary health home prior to their um, becoming um, expected mothers or becoming pregnant? And then do they have an obstetrician? Just a sampling, a brief sampling that we did at a pilot showed that even in Iowa, which you would think that access to healthcare would not be as much of a concern as your major metropolitan areas in this country, that there is a disparate gap, uh, women of color um, receiving or, or um, even accessing maternal health care at the um, earliest stages. So our goal in this program is to really um, put a pen to paper as to studying the, these women, how we can provide intervention strategies perhaps earlier um, and our involvement and partnering with community organizations such as faith leaders, leaders of nonprofits who uh, perhaps work with these individuals as their clients. And I do want to lift up one partner that we're very excited to work with is called Healthy Birthday. Healthy Birthday was founded by women, a group of women who um, did suffer the experience or nearly suffered the experience of stillbirth, but utilizing a method called Count the Kiss, Kicks uh, in the third trimester of their pregnancies. In, in many of the cases were successful in saving their children. So this organization is going to partner with us in terms of this project and helpfully turning around some of those disparate outcomes that I've mentioned. Uh, so I'm very, very excited, and I think that this will be a program or a project um, that will be duly beneficial, not just for those of us involved, but also for our community as a whole. And then another um, area that I think um, is going to be important and that I'm glad that we're undertaking 
it's a self-care of our staff. Um, this 2020-2021, um, healthcare professionals, and again, you, the Beckers has reported this time and time again, has been one experience of perhaps, you know, the greatest highs that we've experienced in terms of lives that we have saved, but then also periods of lows where our colleagues have truly suffered from what we call compassion fatigue. If you can imagine day in and day out um, having to um, not only perform healing and preventive health care, but also then going home to your families and um, children who've been home all day because they haven't been able to go to school or individuals in your own family, perhaps, who have had layoffs or furloughs. So healthcare employees, while we are certainly an enormously grateful um, and appreciative of so many acts of kindness where, you know, people have written um, us letters and shared meals and, and other gifts with healthcare throughout the year, um, we too are human. And I think that internally calling attention to the fact that self-care is important for our colleagues um, is, is really um, impactful and something that I'm proud that my organization has been really keenly sensitive to this year. That's really great to hear on all three accounts, Jackie. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And especially when looking at your efforts around the, the maternal care for women of color and um, making sure that you know they and their families have the ability as much as possible to have access to care, you know, is really fantastic. And then the the aspect of um, you know, self-care for healthcare workers is so, so important today as well. I think before we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask, you know, what are the things that you're most excited about today and what makes you nervous? Well, I think I alone, um, I'm not alone in, um, you know, hoping that I don't know if we'll ever be in a stage that we call post pandemic uh, or even post COVID. Uh, because much like the flu or, you know, other, um, can, uh, other viruses, um, these are things that we have been confronted with, you know, throughout our history. But I believe that if you would ask many of our colleagues, you know, now that we're experiencing um, a surge again with the Delta variant and even perhaps some, you know, other yet to be named variants, that we're not, um, we don't believe that these are not missions that we, you know, cannot undertake, but having the support um, of our communities and leaders within our communities that, you know, public health crisis is just that. It's a crisis, and we certainly want to have allies, individuals who support us, and we do see, you know, we do see that. Um, the other day, a major organization here in Iowa, uh, which is known for having a really fabulous Labor Day picnic, or I'm sorry, a Labor Day parade, has decided to not have that this year, you know, in light of concerns about uh, the surge that we're seeing due to the variant. So 
so it makes, I think, it gives us pause. I don't like to use the word nervous, but it gives us pause that um, when you're experiencing a public health crisis, really to have, you know, all hands on deck and to have everyone aware that we are not only trying to protect um, our lives, but we're, we're really essentially protecting the society as a whole. And that's what public health means, that we're working together to eliminate, you know, future uh, interruptions in life as we knew it. Jackie, that's a great point. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. I would absolutely enjoy any future discussion.